Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. Well, everybody having a good Sukkot? This is the last day, and uh, I'll tell you that there's a lot of things about the Feast of Tabernacles that some may not realize. I uh, was talking to someone just the other day about it, and um, my dad is over here sitting with us, and he's driven thousands of miles to what seems like thousands of miles to be here with us today. So thank you for coming and being here. Um, One of the things about Sukkot that I find interesting is that I actually believe that's the time where Yeshua was born. And as we're going to see in the tabernacle, everything about it had to do with Yeshua. Everything. And if you even go and look back during the transfiguration, you will see that the disciples came up with Yeshua on the mountain. And, of course, Elijah and Moses appears, right? And what is it the disciples said to him? Should we make a sukkah for both Moses and Elijah? And then, of course, they disappeared and all that you saw was Yeshua. They were there for his birthday. The transfiguration was there on his birthday. Now, I'm not going to go through all the scriptures because we would really be here all day because this is a really long teaching on this, but... I just find it that this is a cool time to actually be here. And you know, during the millennial reign of Christ, we're still celebrating Sukkot. In fact, those nations and leaders of those nations who do not come to celebrate his birthday, they don't get rain for the rest of the year. So we're still doing it during the millennial reign. Now, when Rabbi and I were talking, goodness, what was this, October last year, um, about me doing this teaching, and then we had all the COVID stuff that took place, um, so it's put a little bit of time frame between there, but I I want you to know how important this is, and when I showed him the outline for this, he saw it as well. This is timely. In fact, it's, um, it's very timely for the time we're living in right now. And, and the reason that it is is because there's some things that are coming um, upon this earth that I'm not going to go into all the detail because that would be a whole other sermon. Um, you need to be ready for it. And I, I just I wish I could tell you everything, but it is going to be pretty bad. We have the November elections that are coming up. It is going to be unlike anything we've ever seen in our lives. It's not just the contesting of the election, but the riots the turmoil, the chaos. And if you are not in the right place with God, you're not going to make it. And I'm going to be blunt. This teaching is going to help you get to that place with God and to that intimacy that he's going to help you through this. And I'm off my notes right now. I'm, I'm, I'm not even looking at them yet. I've got actually a little teleprompter up here. I'm trying to copy Biden, but I've... uh, I'm trying to stay off of them as much as possible. But I will tell you that uh, this is timely and it's needed. And uh, before uh, before I start all of this, um, I'll tell you this. I've been under attack for the past two weeks after Rabbi had 
Actually, I've zoomed out of the camera. I made sure that we were good. Yeah, I told the cameraman he's going to hate me because I move around all over the place. Because usually we zoom in like right here, but I've got a little wider zoom. So we're good. Thanks, David. I appreciate it. But I've been under attack for the past two weeks right after Rabbi asked me to come deliver the message at this time. And uh, it's not just spiritual attacks. And I've told the story to a couple of you that um, it's physical as well. And I'm not talking sickness physical. I'm talking almost injury physical. And I want you to know that the spirit realm is very real on both sides. And my son, I was putting him to bed one evening. And, you know, we go through our normal routine, put his jammies on and read him a story. And my wife, I was in the other room and my wife was in there reading him a story and he started crying. And and you can tell when your kid is crying out of, I don't want to go to bed, or he's crying that I'm hurt. And this was the latter. And he starts complaining about his shoulder. And, you know, he's cried before out of growing pains, and I'll go in there and rub on his leg or his arm, you know, and he feels better and he falls asleep. This wasn't the case this time. And he was complaining that his shoulder on this side was hurting him. And so, of course, I go over and I try to rub on it, And my discernment started going off, but I was kind of ignoring it, not wanting to think what was really going on. And he was crying, and I mean, like, nothing I could do would stop his pain. So we took him downstairs. I said, well, do you want to go to, you know, lay in my bed? And, you know, well, that way I can kind of just watch over him for a little bit. Gave him some aspirin, a little bit of, you know, children's Tylenol, and brought him in. But it was not stopping. And, I mean, he looked like he was in torment. I wish you could see my little four-year-old's face. He was being tormented. And so I turned the lights off. My wife came in and checked on him, and I said, leave for a minute. I need to pray because God showed me what was going on. He was under physical attack. So I had prayed for him. Father, I apply your blood in Yeshua's name. Father, protect him now. And he closed his eyes and went to sleep like that. No waiting, no time, like that. So, of course, you know, I fall asleep next to him. Wife, I don't know, maybe midnight, 30, she comes back into the room and picks him up, takes him into his bed. I'm still asleep. Two in the morning, I wake up, and it it felt, and I'm going to make my fingers show you what it felt like. It felt like a literal claw was digging into my shoulder inside, pressing up on a nerve. It was intense pain, woke me up, and of course I was sleeping with my arm underneath my pillow, and I had brought it down, and and I'm rubbing on it, thinking, did it fall asleep? What's going on? But you know when your arm goes to sleep, it doesn't hurt like that. It would, You know, you feel the tingling all over. It was isolated right here on my shoulder, and it dawned on me. Because you know when you're half asleep, you're in REM sleep, you're not thinking about what just happened earlier, and then it, it dawned on me, what he was feeling, I, I am now suffering from this attack. Because I'd applied the blood on him, not on myself. So I immediately, Father, <laughs> Yeshua's name, I apply the blood of Yeshua over my life and over my entire body. And Father, take care of this now in Yeshua's name. Fell back to sleep. It stopped and I fell back to sleep. So that Shabbat, we're here on Shabbat leaving my son 
actually has kind of a permanent bump on his head from falling so many times. You can walk around after service and see him. You'll notice it. And uh, he hadn't fallen in a really long time. He's got his bearings. He's got his feet and getting a little bit more dexterity as he moves. And we're walking in the parking lot after we were leaving Shabbat, and he falls and hits his head again right on the ground. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> what else can happen to this kid, right? And, you know, when the enemy sometimes can't get to us, he'll use our family. And so you have to be diligent to apply the blood. And before I actually segue into my message, I'm going to read you some scripture. And if you have your Bibles, get them out because I want you to follow along with me. And I didn't bring my reading glasses, so if I mess something up, you can correct me. I left them right on my bathroom counter this morning. But turn to Leviticus chapter 14, and I'm going to read you something that has to do with the blood and why it's important to apply it on our lives. And before we get there, the blood, in order for Satan to cross that bloodline, he would have to be a saved devil. Look at Exodus chapter 12. You know, turn to it. But in Exodus chapter 12, what is it dealing with? It's the Passover. We just got finished with it, right? In April, the, the Passover lamb, when he shed his blood, that blood was put on the doorposts. Why? Who can tell me why? Why was the blood put on the doorposts? It's right. It was to keep the destroyer out from being able to kill the firstborn, right? That Satan cannot cross that bloodline. So again, in Leviticus chapter 14, what this is dealing with, let me cover up my uh, monitor here. It's dealing with a sinner who, who has now been forgiven or a person with leprosy who has now been shown that he had been healed. And this is the law of the leper of his day of cleansing. And, and I said that to say this, that leprosy in the Bible is, anytime you see that, is symbolic of sin. If you were to look upon this, a person with leprosy, it's a really ugly disease. Don't go Google it and then you know, don't Google it right now. It, it's gross. But your flesh will literally fall off of you, right? And, and that sin being healed or forgiven, this is the law of the leper in his day. So there's still a cleansing process that takes place after the forgiveness. Okay, and I'm going to read this to you. You can follow along with me in chapter, on verse 1, chapter 14. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, This shall be the law of the lepers, the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. See, I told you I'm on glasses. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look. And then if the case of leprous, the leprous disease is healed, in the leprous person, the priest shall command it to him, to, to take him to be cleansed, two live and clean birds, cedarwood, scarlet, yarn, and hyssop. By the way, everything here has a purpose. The cedarwood, the scarlet, and the hyssop. I'll, I'll go into this in a minute. And the priest shall command them to kill one of the birds in an earthen vessel over running water. And he shall take the live bird with the, with the cedar wood, the scarlet yarn, and the hyssop, and dip them in the live bird of the blood of the bird that was killed over, over running water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed of the leprous disease. Then he shall pronounce him clean... And the living bird, let it go into the open field. 
And he who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off all of his hair and bathe himself in water, and he shall be clean. So this is the the ceremonial law of what was going to take place for this healed leper or a person who has been forgiven. There's still that cleansing process. So you see the two birds that were taken. One was killed in an earthen vessel overrunning water. Earthen vessel, symbolic of a body, overrunning water. What is water? Water in the, water in the Bible is symbolic of the word of God. So another the washing of the water of the word, right? All of this is symbolic of Yeshua, every bit of this. Hyssop is actually a type of faith because it was an action item. So they would take the hyssop and sprinkle it seven times. This was, a, this was an action of sprinkling the blood. And then, of course, killing the bird, symbolic of Yeshua dying, and then letting the one loose in the open field was symbolic of his resurrection. Now, why seven times? Well, seven was perfection, right? But did you know that Yeshua shed his blood seven times on the way to the cross? So the first time, let's look at it. The first time he shed his blood was when? You got it. Garden of Gethsemane. He sweat blood. Blood, like literal blood came out as sweat from his brow when he was sitting there praying. Second time, when they took him before Pilate and then they pulled out, they beat him and pulled out his beard. It's when he started becoming sin. Because what happens, that makes you ugly, right? Same thing with the leprosy, it made him ugly. In fact, his mother said he didn't even recognize him. Third time, when they whipped him, 39 times. I'm going to tell you something interesting. You can Google this part. There are 39 original, this isn't a medical journal, by the way, 39 original roots to all diseases. Roots, where they spur off. Now, I mean, when you understand the, the medical piece of this, that means that he has perf- perfectly covered everything that we could go through. 39. Fourth time. Crown of thorns. What are thorns symbolic of? When was the first time we saw thorns? About the Garden of Eden. What came out of the ground, right? God caused thorns to come out. Why? Because of the curse. Fifth time was his hands. The sixth time was his feet. So that was symbolic of his work. Anytime you see the the hands, symbolic of his work. And his feet, symbolic of his walk. The seventh time was the spear going right into his side. And what came out? Blood and water. Right? The word and the blood. Right? So the sevenfold sprinkling was a perfect covering for everything that we would have in our lives. There's nothing it doesn't fix. So this is why the blood is extremely important to be applied on our lives and through prayer. And uh, my Bible actually hit my teleprompter over here, and I'm like, 
15 pages down into this thing. No. It's not that long. Jeremiah 33.3, this is not on the slide, so forgive me. I added a couple of things in here that uh, uh, y'all aren't going to be able to see. So if you're live, by the way, welcome to everybody that's live watching on stream. Um, I looked before coming up here, which probably maybe I shouldn't have looked before coming up here, but we're at a record over 50 people watching us live when I came up here. So welcome everybody and Shabbat Shalom. Um, Jeremiah 33.3, call unto thee and I will answer thee and I will show you great and mighty things thou which thou knowest not. And what I want to show you today is how to have victory and power in prayer and how to truly have a glorious life of prayer because it's time and it's time to put our bodies under subjection to God. Psalms 34:17 says, "The righteous cry and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of their troubles." Now, I'm going to get in trouble here, uh, but I want to say this, and I want you all to listen. God does not hear every prayer. He hears the prayer of the righteous. You guys see this? He, he does not hear the prayer of the wicked until they are saved or repent. Now, he'll hear the repentant prayer. But he doesn't hear the regular prayer. Even David said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, he will not hear me. The righteous are heard. So, <laughs> that said, I'm going to say something that's probably going to shock everybody in here. I do not believe there is power in prayer. Okay, yeah, I, I, okay, yeah, see, I shocked you. What I want you to understand is Muslims pray. Hindus pray. But there's no power there. So there is absolutely no power in just prayer. But what I do believe is that there is power in the presence of God when you enter in. So what we need to do is we need to harness that. So that we're walking in it daily. And this is a daily process. And this is how it's going to make it effectual in our lives. Now, much of what we really do as, as Christians, spilling my water over here, is all in the flesh. We label it as spiritual, but it really isn't. And we see this all the time in certain denominations where a pastor or a rabbi, you know, they'll be delivering a sermon and, you know, someone will get out there and start speaking in tongues and interrupting that pastor. Who, who's seen this before? Anybody been in one of those services? I know you guys have. I can raise my hand on that one as well. And you know what? The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He really is. And if he's anointed the pastor or the preacher, or the rabbi to come up and deliver a message, he's not going to interrupt himself out in the audience, right? He's, he's a gentleman. 
and sometimes when we pray, and this is another, I want to see hands on this one. Does it ever feel like, you know, when you're praying, sometimes it doesn't really get past the ceiling? Who's, who's, who's experienced that? Right? I can identify with it. So, prayer in the Spirit, as Paul has commanded us to walk in the Spirit, this is where we get power. And, and I want to explain something. I'm going to get off my notes again here for a, sec, for a second. There is a difference between power or the anointing and the presence of God. You don't feel the presence of God. You feel the power of God. His presence is always with us. But you're not always in tune enough to feel the presence. But you'll feel his power or his glory. When we get into worship and we're focusing just on him and you feel like a weight coming in, that's not his presence. That's his power. When you learn how to tap in and harness this, that's when you start seeing miracles. And I don't know if a lot of you guys know, but um, I used to work for an evangelist years ago um, by the name of Benny Hinn. Now, I don't want any of you guys to cringe or anything else. I mean, I worked for him for about a year in Orlando and about seven years in the Crusades. Or, and I hate saying that word because, you know. But I have seen more things in my lifetime to know what the power of God and the glory of God looks like and experienced it. In fact, if I had enough time, um, I would tell you all the stories that I've seen and felt and experiences that I've had in the, in the, in the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to go ahead and share one story with you. Um, I want to say this was Dallas, Texas, circa 1993. So this is, and I'm aging myself here. Um, I had not been working with, with, uh, I had not been working with his ministry yet, but this is about the third conference I had been to. And, and I'm going to try to tell this story without crying because I, t- I cry about it every time I tell this story. So I, we show up and I'm actually sitting in the very middle, probably about 30 rows from the front. So I'm like dead center in a sea of other people right next to where the camera all set up was. And, you know, there's a little box and the camera sitting on it. I'm sitting like two seats from that area. And the worship service starts. And, you know, before I'm all focusing on Benny, everything's, you know, the, the, the worship service starts and I'd closed my eyes and raised my hands. And I don't think we were probably two minutes in the first song and bam, he hits me. I mean, I'm down in my seat. No one's touching me. No one blew on me. No one did anything down in my seat. And it was intense. And so I'm literally trying to climb up my wife's leg like I'm a little kid trying to stand up and get the seat in front of me like, oh, my goodness, what just happened? And I mean, I just felt electricity just flowing all through my body. And it doesn't hurt. This isn't like you're plugged into a live wire, but it's close. But it doesn't hurt. It's like intense love and the most amazing feeling just comes and flows through your body. And I... I had looked over earlier in the service, and I had seen a, a girl, probably eight or nine years old, 
in a wheelchair, and it was one of those electric wheelchairs and the padding on the... I had noticed her when I saw her when she had came by, and it had like those little cones that you sit on, you know, so the rubber pieces, because, you know, when you sit in a wheelchair that's flat and just that, you know, I forget what you call it, that whatever that leather is, or vinyl, that it'll cause sores on you, so they make these special wheelchairs that have these, like these little rubber cones or whatever on the top of them that they sit on. She's sitting on one of those. And what I had noticed about her when she had passed by me and she was sitting about four or five rows up on the end is that her thighs were about as big around as my wrist. Well, I mean, you could tell that she's probably never walked a day in her life. So worship service is going on and, you know, they, they had already, you know, Benny had already rebuke sickness openly and people are starting to line up on his left and on his right and through our aisles that I'm actually standing in. And I and I look across and her parents had wheeled her out in the middle of the aisle. Now I'd not only watched many services before this and been in what two of them before the one I was in that time and I knew that she's not going to get up on stage. There's just no way. Uh, they only bring people up that have already been healed. And it's like my heart was breaking. I'm like, oh, my goodness, they're in, they don't know. And so as my heart's breaking, I literally felt like this draw pulling me out of my seat to go and stand on the end of the aisle. So I'm like, oh, okay, okay I'm going to do what you tell me to, Lord. So I'm working my way past all the people, excuse me, excuse me, you know, getting to the edge. And I stood out in the aisle. And from about me to the corner of the second row seat is about how far she was from me. The music is loud. If you've ever been in one of these places, the music's loud. He's up doing his thing on stage. And, and I look over, and everybody's facing this way. Now, I, I just felt like he, I mean, I, he wanted me to pray. So all I did is stretch my hand, and I said this quiet. I said, Father, I release your healing anointing into her right now in Yeshua's name. Now, it's hard for me to explain up here what she did, but I'm going to turn around and show you. She does this. It looks me dead in the eye. Of course, now I'm like, how did she know? There's no way she heard me. The people in front of me didn't hear me. There's no way she heard me. She looked me dead in the eye and she looks to her left. Looks to her right. Her dad's pushing. Looks back to her left. Looks to her right at her mom. And starts pushing on the thing and stands up. Now, this is the part where I cry. <clears throat> Dad grabs her and starts spinning her around. And, of course, her feet are hitting everybody. There, you know, that is she's spinning her around. And he and mom sees it and screams. Just, ah, just screams and she's yelling. And, of course, I'm sitting there in awe. Because... I knew there was nothing I did to do that. It was all him. So I've seen things that prayer, a simple prayer, that when you're connected in, has power. Now, I was thinking all along before that, oh, he's just blessing me, right? But he taught me two things from that. Number one, learn to listen to him. When he says something, do it, and you'll see Miraculous things. And number two, don't ever look at the man. I was looking at Benny. I didn't need Benny to go lay hands on me. He did it.
He would, even back in that day, he was trying to show me, focus on me, not that man. Now, that doesn't mean that Benny wasn't anointed. He was a very anointed man. I, like I said, I've seen things that would blow your mind and experience things even better than this. But, but we've seen many examples in Acts and hear of all the miracles that they performed. And why are we still not seeing all of this today, even among our lives and in church? And, and because there's certain principles that I believe aren't being applied when we pray. But I'm going to share those with you today. And with not only confidence and faith, but power as well, I believe that we can do this. Now, David makes an amazing statement in Psalms 80:18, and this should be on the slides. So will not we go back from thee? Quicken us, and we will call upon thy name. Let's read this again. So we will not go back, will not we go back from thee, quicken us, and we will call upon thy name. And there's lots going on here in the scripture, but I want to point out something interesting. You see, you cannot seek the Lord. It's impossible. You cannot seek the Lord, not in the flesh anyway. People say, well, I'm going to go pray and seek God. Go for it. I mean, if the Holy Spirit has not put that desire in you, you're going to fail. The word says, the Lord cannot be sought by a man till God has sought the man. Say it again. You cannot seek the Lord until he has sought you. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 4, on the screen. says, draw me, and then I will run after you. What does it say? Draw me, and then I will run after you. Many of us are trying to basically turn on our spiritual engines and, and, and do it by themselves. But I'm telling you, it's the flesh, people. And I'm not saying that it's not to stir up your gifts, because that is scriptural. But stirring up your gifts, knowing that if God has already given you a gift of healing, prophecy, whatever it is, go and use it. Activate it, because that's faith. I don't care if you feel anything or not at the time. If you're being in prayer, and you're sitting here daily in tune with God, go activate that. Go activate your gift. So how do we get there? To a place where he draws us in. I just got to say this. I've heard Christians praying God's promises over themselves. And we've been taught that. And I want to be careful how I say this. But just because something is in the Bible does not mean God gave that to you. And and that bothers a lot of people when I say this, because I can see it on some of your faces. But, But it's the truth. If the Holy Spirit has not made that word or that thing life to you, it will not work. The only way to get it to work is to be in the Spirit. And when you're in the Spirit, He'll make that thing life to you, but not before. Otherwise, it would apply to everybody. And it doesn't. 
Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, we are to live in the Spirit. We are to walk in the Spirit, but people had not been shown how to get there. And there's the secret place is this spiritual realm that God wants us in. Turn to Psalms 91 in your Bibles, and we all know this chapter well. I'm going to put the first verse up on the, on the board for you here. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now look at something here. It says, he who dwelleth in the secret place. It doesn't say he that visits. And, and that's really the problem. He that dwelleth in the secret place. Dwelleth means you stay there. It becomes your address. Dwelling, dwelleth, it's your address. Y'all see this? And when you live in the Spirit, I want everybody to hear this. When you live in the Spirit, in, in the Spirit, no sickness can touch your body. Not even COVID. Not even COVID. Where Yeshua is, sickness cannot dwell. Remember what I just told you about the blood. That blood covers your life. It is a daily application. It is a daily thing that we do. What did he do with the blood for the, for the leper who was being cleansed? Not only did he sprinkle it seven times before the Lord, he took some of the blood of the trespass offering, and he put it on the tip of the right ear. And of course, this is my left, but I'm showing it to you because this is the right side. The right ear of him who is to be cleansed upon his right thumb and upon his right toe. What is that symbolic of? Hearing life. Everything you hear, everything you ingest. Your work life, thumb, and your toe, your walk life, covers every facet of your being. After the blood was applied, here comes the cool part. The oil was applied on top of the blood. There's a huge key here. You guys got to get this. The oil was applied on his hearing life, his work life, and the walk life. What does this mean? The blood keeps out Satan's voice from your head, from your life. You've heard Christians walking around, oh, well, I was hearing the devil tell me this or tell me that. Why are you listening to the devil? If you have the blood applied, you shouldn't be hearing him at all. <laughs> Gene's over here laughing. Of course, that's right. It applies it on his work, keeps him from touching anything you do. And applies it on your walk, keeping you from your feet dashing upon that stone. Now. Once the blood was applied, here comes the oil. What is the oil symbolic of? The anointing. So not only is the anointing here, so the blood keeps out the devil's voice. Now you have the anointing bringing God's voice. Bringing his anointing on your work and upon your walk. Keeping your path straight on that narrow path. Because without it, you're going to be all over the place. 
Because narrow is the gate. Narrow is the way. Right? I'm really trying not to rabbit trail, but um, I have to listen to what he's telling me. So this morning, this is the beginning of my sermon, by the way. I want to talk to you about what does bring power in prayer and how to get in his presence and stay there. And to which this sermon is entitled, Practicing the Presence of God, because that's really where the power is. There are three realms. If y'all have notes, if y'all have pens, y'all need to write this stuff down or take pictures on the, on the board. But write this stuff down because you want to remember this. There are three realms that we live in and how we were created. There is the spirit realm. There is the soulish realm and the physical. And the attributes between the physical is the flesh. When you hear the word the flesh in the Bible, that is talking about that physical realm. The soulish realm is the mind, your emotions, your intellect, your ideologies, everything, right? Your spirit realm is your life force. It's your life. Now, let's look at 1 Corinthians 1, nine. For God is faithful through whom you were called in fellowship with his son, Jesus, son, Christ Jesus. God gave Moses the tabernacle and the pattern to the Holy of Holies. And he gave them this, this road map into his presence. And what's interesting is it's all done through a model that is 100% about Yeshua. As I'd showed you before. Everything about the tabernacle God had to do, it had to do with Yeshua. And when you study on this, you're going to be pretty amazed that even the small things like commanding the stake can do me a favor. Yeah. Come back over. There's a, I actually have a, a, a picture of the tabernacle. Go, go one more. That one. You see the stakes in the ground where the ropes are tied to them off that badger skin dyed red. That everything here was about Yeshua. The stake in the ground, halfway in the ground, halfway out, which is what God commanded Moses to do, was symbolic of the cross. Him going into the grave and then rising again. Everything about here is about Yeshua. And it's a model how to stay and get into his presence. Let's let's stay on the tabernacle for a minute. Go back a, a slide for me. Do you remember when Yeshua says, I am the way, the truth, and the life? No man comes to the Father but by me. He was actually telling everybody he was the tabernacle. Because the way was the gate. The gate leading into the tabernacle. The first thing you saw was the brazen altar, as you can see there. And then the laver was right behind it. What did the brazen altar do? That was where the sacrifice would take place. The very first thing before getting into God's presence is dying to self. That's your sacrifice. Even though Yeshua sacrificed, that's still you dying to self. And then what do you see right after that? The laver. What was the laver for? That was the cleansing. What did we just read in Leviticus 14? The law of the leper. First, you had his sacrifice, his repentance of sin. The blood was applied. And then the cleansing takes place before you even get into the next realm or the next area. 
right in that second area, the door was called the truth. Inside, you have the lampstand, you have the table of showbread, and the altar of incense. And then the veil, which was called the life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the Pharisees are like, oh my gosh, you blaspheme. Right? Because he called himself the tabernacle. As I said, everything about it was of him. And there's tons of these types and shadows. Uh, there, there's tons of these in there. Hebrews goes through a bunch. Um, if you ever want to do a in-depth study of Hebrews, it'll blow your mind on how much of the symbology that that is brought forth from the tabernacle itself. And I mean, if anybody want to skip Oneg, we can go through them all if you'd like. You raise your hand. Don't be shy. No one. Okay. Back on topic here. So again, how do we get to that place of intimacy? What is that roadmap? And we see it into the as his plan in the tabernacle. Go go forward a slide for me, please. I want to show something else here. One more, please. So we've got the three realms. We have the ask realm. Write these down in your notes. The seek realm and the knock realm. The very first thing you're doing, as everybody knows, when you go in prayer, is you have your list. Some people's lists are bigger than others, right? So I don't know. how. Am I getting this right? So that's your ask realm. This is where we ask him to do something. The second realm is the seek realm. This is where we are seeking his face. The third realm is the knock realm, where we're knocking on that veil to get into his presence. And actually, he actually brings us in. I'm going to cover that here in a minute. Go to the next slide. So you'll see that the ask realm is the outer court. The seek realm is the inner court. And the knock realm is the holy of holies. Now, obviously, prayer. That's how we're going to get into his presence. But everybody prays. So what's the keys here? And I'm going to give them to you. And it's a simple phrase. They that wait upon the Lord. Look at Isaiah 40, verse 31. Write these, write these down as we go through them or take pictures of the slides. You don't want to forget these. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. We've all heard this. Waiting upon the Lord is the secret to power. It is the bridge, literal bridge, between the flesh and your spirit. Because when you wait is when you die. And you cannot be alive and get through to that next area. You have to have that sacrifice. When you wait on the Lord, just like it says in Psalms 40, verse 1, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined and heard my cry. 
not going to hear you till you wait. Psalm 62, verse 1. Truly my soul waiteth upon God. From him cometh my salvation. And salvation here literally in the, in the it means deliverance. Psalms 130, verse 5. I wait upon the Lord, my soul doth wait. In his word do I hope. Of course, soul is, this is that second realm. The waiting brings you into that second realm of the seeking realm. This is your intellect, your, your emotions, right? This is where you sit still. And I want you to understand how simple this is, but it's profound. Look at Psalms uh, 25, 5. Lead me in thy truth and teach me. For thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. Now, God, God's not going to make you wait all day. That'd be, no one's going to have the patience for that. All right. What, what did Yeshua say to the disciples? That he gave a huge key on this during prayer. Where was he at? In the Garden of Gethsemane, right? He told them all to go pray as he went off by himself and prayed. And he come back. What did he see? All the disciples were sound asleep. And what did he say to them? Could you not wait with me for one hour? It's a key. I'll get to this again in a minute. And God, in waiting, God quickens you to seek him. Without that quickening, you'll never find it. Because while waiting, your flesh dies. And that goes with what Paul taught. And let's look at Romans 12.1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of our God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I want to read this again. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. What is he saying here? Beseech you. He's begging you. Beseech is literally the word beg. By the mercies of God, I beseech you. He's begging you that you listen to this. The very next part. That ye present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service to him. You cannot serve him without doing this. Paul here is begging you. I mean, I mean, literally, that is what the word means. But it's because when we wait, we're starting that process of mortifying the flesh. And I remember Catherine Kuhlman years ago, she used to say, I die a thousand deaths. And I can't say it like she says it, but it's close, right? But she did. She said, I died a thousand deaths, you know, and people would be like, how are we going to do that? Right? We, we're not taught this. And, and, but, but it's here. It's all here in Scripture. And I'm going to give you a bunch of these because I want you really, really to catch this. And then I'm going to show you how this works. The flesh dies in the outer court. We saw that with the altar of sacrifice. But you have to do that before you go into that next realm. And many people... Stay on that outer court. I'm going to give you a few more scriptures so you can get this. Isaiah 33, verse 2. O Lord, be gracious unto us. We have waited for thee. 
Be thou thy arm every morning, our salvation also in time of trouble. I just want you to think about really what's at stake here. Without waiting, you know, there's no power. But get this. When there's no power, angels are weakened on your behalf. And if angels are weakened, demons are strengthened. It all begins with waiting. They that wait upon the Lord. So as we're seeing, as you wait, God empowers you. But there's another key here we must get. Because the fullness of the Spirit and our waiting are inseparable. The reason God commands us to wait is because, as I mentioned before, waiting empties us of self. Waiting enables us to receive God's fullness. Waiting quiets the soul. Waiting enables the Spirit of God to touch the very depths of our spirit. Now, let's look at Psalms 42, 7 and 8. And really, this is powerful. And, and I've experienced this. It's, it's amazing. Deep call up upon deep, and the noise of thy water spouts, all of thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and shall, and in the night his song shall be with me and my prayer unto the God of my life. Now, water spouts, as you know, are they're, they're tornadoes of sorts in the water, right? When you begin to wait on God, he creates around you a water spout, and you begin to be lifted into that other realm, because I can tell you, you're not getting there on your own two feet. Isaiah thirty fifteen, bring that up for me, please, says, Thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest shall you be saved, in quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. And again, I'm showing you all these scriptures really to prove my point. Because I believe if you start this and do this today, by next week you're going to be a powerhouse. And again, what's coming, you have to do this. This isn't going to be optional. If you want to survive what's about to come, you you have to do this. I mean, what I would love to see is when you walk in the room and the devils leave like the cowards that they are. Because they cannot be around the anointing. And they see it when you walk in. And you know what? Just one thing I've kind of learned the hard way is don't be like a machine gun when you go into prayer when you first start. You know, you've got your list. You're going to just start rattling everything out. (laughs) I wish I'd learned this years ago. Because he knows what you need before you ever ask him. Before you ever open your mouth. I've got to the point now, I say a couple of things, but mainly it's I'm praying in the spiritual, like, Father, help me hear better from you or whatever. I'm not asking for the little things, Father, save my son, you know, that's estranged or whatever. I'm not saying things like this. Uh, He already knows the desires of my heart. When you're walking in the spirit... 
All that other stuff is incidental. He's already going to take care of it, and he does it in advance. So when you wait, true prayer begins, and it's really just not empty words. Because empty words are going to wear you out. And you, you know, you have this long list and stuff. And I mean, who wants to go back and do the same thing the next day? I mean, it, you're all worn out. And you don't want to do that thing again. And you see this thing, and some of you may have seen these, these real big prayer services that people have, and they're running around screaming, and everybody's being loud and everything else. That's not prayer. Just making a bunch of noise. Nothing gets done. I can tell you, God's not in that. God is in quiet and stillness. Because that is where his power is. Waiting on the Lord means to be still until the Lord quickens you. What do I mean by that? Quickening, when you're quickened, you'll know it. Because the tears start. Your reflection on yourself, you start to be less self-conscious and become God-conscious. Now, leave my notes here for a minute. Adam and Eve were the first two people on this earth to be born again backwards. God created us spirit, soul, and body. And you know this because Adam and Eve had no um, conscious of self. They were naked. They didn't even realize it because they were 100% in the spirit focused on God. What happened when they sinned? <gasps> we're naked because they got flipped upside down. Now their body, soul, and spirit and the flesh is leaving their lives. So how do you know if you're walking in the spirit? You're more self-conscious than you are God-conscious. And back on that scripture, go back a couple of ones about the water spouts. I want to read the second part of that. When you're in the spirit, deep call upon deep, and the noise of thy water spouts and the waves and the billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord commands his loving kindness in the daytime, and the night his song shall be with me. How many here have been walking around and, and Literally, you're hearing a song in your head, a spiritual song all day long. Raise your hand. About half of us, right? That happens when you're walking in the Spirit. He puts a new song in your mouth. There are times that after the quickening, when I'm in prayer, that the worship begins. You're quiet first, but then the worship begins when he quickens you. Because the tears start and it, it just happens. But the worship begins. And there are times where I have been singing a song. I've never heard it before. Nor the tune. He is singing through me. To the Father. That's the Holy Spirit. I'm not making this stuff up, people. It's, it's real. The water spouts. Literally, I have felt... Where not only where the presence of God is coming in your room and the power of God is coming in your room, but you literally feel like you're being wrapped in a blanket of love. I mean, it, it literally feels like a blanket that is surrounding you and encompassing you. And that's when you know you're being pulled into that spiritual realm, into that holy of holies. It is the most amazing thing that you will ever feel in your life. Power is literally born out of silence. 
And I'll show you. Let's look at, you're going to have to skip back a few slides here to Zechariah 2.13. Be silent, O all flesh, before the Lord, for he is raised up out of his holy habitation. Simple. Be silent. Be still and know that I am God. Because when you are, he will come and meet you. Read it again. Be silent, O flesh, before the Lord, for he is raised up out of his holy habitation. And, and you guys, you got to get this. Because the presence of God will not be known, known by noise. When you're making noise, you're in the flesh. When you're quiet, you're allowing your soul and your flesh to be still and wait for him to bring you in. You're not going to walk in by yourself. Be still, and then you will know me. If you're not still, you're never going to know him. And that's hard for some people. Be still, and you will receive strength. If you're not still, there is no strength. It's that simple. The moment you have been quiet enough, the Lord will bring stillness into your spirit man. And stillness activates his power. And stillness releases his power in us. God says to us, be still and then you will know who I am. You will know my power. We just don't want to do it. It's the flesh. Our flesh will fight this. I mean, because we just have to sit there and do nothing. Well, God said exactly that. I mean, he says, they that wait upon the Lord. Most people go into their... Prayer clauses make, you know, the request known and walk out, and, you know, that's when they lose. It's got to be quiet long enough for God to quicken you. And when he quickens you, he'll pull you in every time. And, and again, you cannot just go in. You have to be drawn in. And it's the Holy Spirit that will bring you into that realm. And... He, you're being led by him, really, at that time. He will quicken you when he does, and he'll bring you in on wings of eagles. Where have we heard that? And the first thing that will happen to you is Psalms 40, verse 2. It says, he will bring you out of your pit. Let's read it. He, he also brought me up out of my horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. Waiting on the Lord just disarms your flesh. Waiting on the Lord dismantles the power of sin over your life. The spirit man is strengthened and the flesh begins to lose its grip on your life. And that's what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 9.27. But I keep under my body and bring it under subjection Lest by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself might be a castaway. Now, one other thing that happens when you get in the realm of the Spirit, and believe you, I've experienced this, in Psalms 40, verse says, For now you've put a song in my mouth. We just talked about this. Another thing that happens is sometimes you start to sway. Anybody had that happen? You're swaying even during worship? And your body feels light as a feather under that anointing. And you see, Orthodox Jews in Israel still do this today. Y'all seen, been to the Wailing Wall, you still see this, right? 
it, it, it's, it, but it's from an old glory. It, it, when the presence of God used to be there, they're just still keeping the flesh part of it there. It's just not there anymore. One more thing you'll notice is your spirit language becomes precise. It's not this babbling stuff anymore. It's precise. And that's when the practice of the Lord begins. Because he becomes more real to you than life itself. Now, this is where I'm going to give you a little insight into my prayer life on how this works. And this is where the teacher part of me comes out. And I'm going to show you. Because I think you're going to remember this part before you'll remember anything else. And I'm going to try not to get feedback. I'm going to turn on this other mic here real quick. Just keep it really low. I'll have you turn it up here in a second. Is it on? Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two. Okay. Where did my notes go? What I do is I go in my office and I pull out my chair, grab my, turn on my computer. And I sit down, and the very first thing I do is I put on some worship music. You don't have to do this, but I do, because with me it's important to change the atmosphere in my room. Is that coming through the speakers? If not, I'll turn this up. Can't hear it? Is the mic not on? not coming through. Can you hear it now? So while this music is on, I'll pull up blueletterbible.org and start off where I left off and I start reading. And I and I read until I feel like that's enough. And and you really have to judge this by the spirit. I some, I'm in Acts right now and I think I'm in chapter 9, but I'd read like from 5 to 9 before I stop today. And I want to show you this because this is the part that you're going to remember is once I'm done reading, I get on my knees. Now, here is where I want to be. This is that third realm. This is the spirit realm. This is where I want to be the holy of holies, right? But we start back here on our knees, just like this. I don't do anything but wait. I maybe start off by saying, Father, bring me into your presence. Show me your love. Anoint me today so that we may have some fellowship together. But Father, you have to crucify my flesh. I cannot do it. I cannot put myself on that cross. Help me crucify this flesh and quicken me that I may be in your presence. That's how I start. Now, what I don't know is during this time is that I'm getting closer to this point. But I don't, I I have no realization how far and how close I'm getting. But the more time I spend, I'm getting closer and closer Right? And there's a line about right here 
of where he's about to quicken me to bring me into that second place. The most, the holy place, right? But I don't realize it. But right about here, my stomach starts grumbling. Getting hungry. Need a drink of water. I've even had it where my hands feel dried out and I need to grab some lotion to put on my hands or something, you know. But you're realizing your flesh is fighting you. And if you get up and go make that sandwich in the kitchen and come back, guess what? You start all the way over. And this is about an hour from here to here. It's about one hour. Sometimes a little bit more. But the more you do this, sometimes you start right here. Because the night before, if you're praying even the night before, you're maintaining that presence and that power on your life. So your one hour is really like five minutes. It takes about 21 days to get to this. And I'm telling you this out of experience. But normally, it's one hour when you're starting out. During this 21 days, if you miss one day, you start over. Day one. Don't miss a day. But I'm telling you people, as I stand here, you will not want to miss a day. When you experience this. So when you cross into this line, this is where the quickening happens and the tears start. And you're still quiet, but in your head, you start bubbling up. Now, these two know what I'm talking about. They're like, yep, 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 we experience this. And, and, the, and the praise and the worship starts, and you can't keep it to yourself anymore. And it starts bubbling out of you. And the closer and closer you get, the stronger and the stronger of his presence comes into the room. Till you reach this point where that's where you feel the enveloping of the water spouts picking you up and pulling you in. And now you are one-on-one with the creator of the universe who has pulled you in and you're fellowshipping with him. Adam and Eve in the garden, I was talking to some friends of ours about a month ago. And we were witnessing to this gentleman across the table And it came up, what is the meaning of life? It's very simple. We were created for fellowship with the Almighty God. That's why he created us. Communion, fellowship. To have that relationship with us. And he made his way through Yeshua, Christ Jesus. The way is right there, the truth and the life. This is where the power is, people. This is where you walk into rooms and demons run out when you stay in this. Don't ever leave this when you start. But I'm telling you, you need to start soon. Because what's coming, if you haven't done this and paid this price, you're not going to make it. And I'm just being as serious with you as I can. Because I know what's coming.
I've already been shown. And it is not good. We don't have that much time before some really serious things start happening here in America. Catastrophic things. Things that's going to change the way of life as we know it. And the only way you're going to make it is with him. And I'm not saying this as being a doomsday preacher. I'm saying this is because I follow a lot of things and I've seen through the Lord what he's shown me. And I know what's coming. And that's why this is the timely message today. And I really wanted you guys to see this. So please take heed to this. I feel you're supposed to die to self daily. I'm going to skip the rest of this because we're running out of time. So everybody bow your heads with me real quick. I want us to pray. Heavenly Father and awesome Lord, we thank you for your fellowship direction and the blueprint that gives us access by what Yeshua has already done on the cross for us through his blood. And we would not be here without you as you have done so much for us and kept us protected under your wing. And we thank you for your presence and your power that you bestow on each one of us. And I pray now that you will draw everyone here that has heard this message to your presence daily. So as we grow as a congregation and in your power, that you are there with us. And that this congregation would grow and the people would hear of the mighty things that you're doing by your glory. In the mighty name of Yeshua HaMashiach, amen and amen.